0: Amen. Amen. Awesome. Cool. Well, everyday life of following Jesus means dying to self and rising in Jesus. And I think that has three implications. The first one is Jesus died in our place, meaning we received the free gift of salvation. He went there first. John three sixteen. 16. We God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, and I, I love whoever believes, right? Whoever believes, whether you're black or white. Male or female, or even if you're gender confused, whoever believes, if you're vaxxed or not vaxxed, or you're vaxxed and you didn't want to be vaxxed, or whatever vax, whoever believes, right? There's no discrimination when it comes to Jesus Christ, and I love that about Christianity. There is no other religion in the world where you can freely come to like Christ, and there's nothing you have, there's no form you have to fill in, there's no document you have to sign, there's no hoops you have to jump over to believe in Jesus Christ. Every other religion will teach you that you can do this or do that and you can attain something. No, no, not with Jesus. He says, come to me as you are. You know, there's no way to earn it. And I think that is unique about Jesus. But it's also unique in that he died in our place, that downward part. We could never attain our salvation. It doesn't matter how hard you work. Jesus went there for us. Martin Luther, the great reformer of his time, he had a revelation when he read the words of Ephesians 2. Uh, where it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. At that time, the um, Roman Catholic Church was in the practice of selling uh, indulgences. So you would buy an indulgence, uh, and it was a monetary payment of penalty, which supposedly absolved one of your past sins when you were uh, released, and you'd be released from purgatory after death, or oh, that's so how it went. So basically, you know, if you, they had muddied the message of Christ so much that it was unclear what Jesus's cross, uh, sacrifice on the cross was for, the truth had become so distorted, and that's kind of how the Reformation came about. Martin Luther read those words and thought we're saved by grace alone. There's nothing we need to do to earn this, and I'm really glad that uh, I, for one, I'm glad that we're not lining up to pay for indulgences at um, Church Unlimited City Campus. Anymore, and uh, I think I'm really glad one because I'd probably be never able to pay for all my indulgences. I just would run out of money. Um, but the other thing is, it's just who would like to live that way, paying for these indulgences? No, no, there's no way you could ever do it. Um, but I reckon on the streets of New Zealand, if you ask someone, how do you, what do, you, what's, how, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I reckon the response you would get from most people today is, oh, well, I think I'm a good person. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? You know, like, oh no. I, I think if I'm a good, I think if I'm good enough, like you know, that'll be my entrance into heaven. But Jesus, of course, he turns that on its head. He says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there's no not one that is righteous. But only through the cross, only through Jesus, do we have access to the Father. Do we have eternal life? So the way of dying and living starts with realizing that Jesus has actually paid the penalty for our sins. But secondly, we put to death our own rights and we give up our rights to follow Jesus. Putting, death, uh, putting to death the things of the flesh and living by the Spirit. Mark 8, 34, Jesus called the people and his followers to him, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must give up himself and his own desires. He must take up his cross and follow me. And I love the thought of the word he must. It's so, um, it's so absolute. It's so final. It's not, a, it's not a maybe or you might need to. It's a, it's a definite you must. We live in a world today where there's very few absolutes. There's very few uh, truths. Everything is a bit of a half-truth or watered down. But Jesus knew that if we lived a life of half-truths, we're not really living at all. That actually it has to be His truth. You know, I've discovered as I've done a bit of study through college that all truth is actually God's truth, that it all belongs to Him. So when you're discovering something new about God, God already knew it anyway, but we're just on this process of discovering it all, and it's all His truth. And I love, I love how the uh, Amplified Bible puts that passage, so I'll have it up on the screen. It says, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example, and living, and if need be, suffering, or perhaps dying because of faith in me. I think that brings out really clearly in our day and age today of a lot of our you know, supposedly rights that we have, just this thought of being a disciple of Jesus, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. I think that gives us great hope living in the world today to say, you know, whatever may come, whatever may come, I'm willing to go through it with Jesus. If he's with me, I can endure all things. 2021 will be a year to remember uh, of losing a lot of our rights our right to meet freely as a church, um, the right to go to school or work or to the shops without wearing a mask. But seeing the dy- dying and rising with Christ means we can endure whatever may come because God's resurrection is our resurrection. I, I, For me, church, I just feel like, you know, we can go through a lot of these things because ultimately we have a hope that's greater than this world. We can go through the enduring of the of the, right, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't understand why this is happening. But that's because my hope is set on a whole nother kingdom. My hope is set on something so much far greater than just what I see around me in the temporary. And we can endure those things because there is another kingdom that we're a part of. You know, I think a lot of times we want to put to death the things in other people's lives. <laughs> you know, I wish they would just stop doing that. Or I can't believe they keep on making the same mistakes. Or, uh, you know, I can't believe that they're treating people this way. Or I can't believe they say that to people. And blah, blah, blah. And all those things that happen in other people's lives. But often I think Jesus made it clear we need to start with us. We need to look at the, the plank in our own eyes. And yes, there may be times when God uses us to help correct others, but it's only in love and truth and building them up. And never to feel one up on other people. Truth is that we are all a work in progress. So maybe turn to the person next to you and say, you are a work in progress. <laughs> that was very quiet, but I believe you said it. No, honestly, like the longer I've been a pastor, the more I've realized that I don't have the power to change anybody, right? Like, but as I pray and as I live the example that God set for me to live, and as I embody Jesus, that I've found that the power of prayer is actually where it lies, to change people's hearts. That's where it actually comes from. Because prayer goes in behind the walls of the heart. Prayer goes in where we can't go. That's like God jumping on the train of doing something in someone's life and actually getting behind enemy lines, behind what's on the outside and changing the inside. And I've realized the longer I've it past, that actually prayer is your greatest resource in changing anything in this world because prayer actually has the power to change people. But, you know, we can have this part to play in uh, putting to death the things in our own life uh, and glorifying God. Thirdly, we give up the fleeting pleasures of sin and pursuits of this world for a better kingdom and an everlasting inheritance and for an eternity with our risen Savior. And uh, I think that's part of why this JQ is really important is that we realize that actually it's in the Giving of our lives up. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, you know, if you want to find life, you've got to give it away. You've got to if you want to have this, you've actually got to give. If you want to be blessed, you've got to be a blessing to others. All those things come from actually realizing the reason for that is because there's so much more. God has so much more in eternity for us. Peter put this put it this way. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Um, who's ever been on an international flight and gone and come back home and been welcomed at the airport by, like, a, you know, family and friends and a welcoming committee and all that kind of thing? Yeah, a few people have done that. I went to the Ukraine on a mission trip with Pastor Kathy and Pastor Brendan and a few others from church, and I arrived in the Ukraine, um, and I'd flown on a different route because I worked for New Zealand, so I went on my own uh, through a treat staff travel fair, And I met them at the Ukraine airport. So I got there, and they got there, and I was expecting a welcoming party. Um, And I got there, and nobody was there. And I (laughs) realised I looked around, and I knew nobody. I didn't speak the language, and I only had Kiwi dollars on me. (laughs) And they only trade US dollars. So I went up to the exchange table, and the lady just looked at me and said something, and... Ukrainian, and I just thought, I'm completely lost, and I have no money, and I have nobody, I don't even know anything, and I don't know anybody, and I've, I just prayed really hard for like half an hour, <laughs> and then finally they turned up at the airport, all kind of like, oh, you're here, it's great you're here, and I was like, where were you? And, um, anyway, but so I had no welcome, uh, but I think, you know, this thought of a rich welcome into the eternal, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, Have you thought about that? Like a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Like, I mean, I think we often strive in life to have things pretty good and glitzy for this life. But Jesus looks at it and goes, man, how's your welcome going when it comes to the eternity, when it comes to the other side of this life? What does that look like? You know, and I think it helps us understand the J curve of that part of dying and not necessarily, you look at the book of Job, you know, there's no guarantees life will go well. There is no guarantees. You can do all the right things. You can live a faithful life. It does not mean suffering and pain and hurt will come. You know, and I think that's why the proverbs in the book of Job bring out that is that, hey, look, most of the time, you know, following God, yes, there are things that God does, and yes, there's this blessing, but it's not always the case. And I think that sometimes we can realise actually Man, the reason that there's this downward part of life, this dying, the suffering, is that Jesus has a reason, you know, and sometimes we can't see it with our natural eyes. We can't see it on the side of eternity, but God has a rich welcome into his kingdom. And the rest of that part from Peter, he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory uh, as long as I live in this tent of this body, because I know that I'll soon put it aside As our Lord Jesus made it clear to me. And I make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be remembered, always be able to remember these things. Peter knew that soon he was gonna he was gonna pass away from this body and he was gonna enter into this kingdom. And he had this mindset that said, you know, whatever I go through in this life, the hurts, the sufferings, the trials, that's okay because there's actually a greater hope. That's much, much, much better than whatever I face here. And I love that he uses the word tent. Who's been tenting? over um, summer, over, yeah, camping. Awesome. Man, I could spend the whole morning talking about tenting, but I'm not, because I love tenting. So we went tenting over summer. Uh, We have a tent, and we set it up. I set up the poles, I set up the pegs. For me, it's like, I feel like I'm back in the tabernacle days setting up my tent, I'm like, mate, I could have been in Israel. This is awesome. So I put the tent up, and then I do all of that, but we put it all up this year. We've got a big canvas tent, and one of the rooms in the tent, the the ceiling was all mouldy, and it had got this big patch of mould on it, um, and so I looked at Katie, and I said, Katie, God has gifted me for setting up tents. But um, Katie, I believe God has gifted you for cleaning and demoulding the tent. I'm not going to do that. And so anyway, so she got into it, and she demolded the tent and got it all off. Uh, and it was gross. So I'm very grateful for her. But she, um, she's not here either. In the first service, she was, yeah, I could say more. I'll stop. But um, she's great. So we had, <laughs> we had this tent, and she demolded it. But on a serious note, you know this tent is very corruptible. This tent of a body is very temporary. You know, like just like that patch of mould. Our, 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 you know, this life we live. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but sin has entered into this world and has corrupted things. You know, all it takes is the notice that someone has got cancer in your family. All it takes is someone that's, you know, had a breakdown in a relationship. Maybe someone's gone through an emotional or mental. Uh, you know, uh, trauma, something's happened. But this tent that we live in is so temporary and so brittle. And I think that sometimes we need to remember that, that actually we're just tenting here on earth. We're just passing through. You know, there is a part to it where, where even if not everything comes to pass in this life, it's okay because God's got a better place. He's got a mansion. He's got a room. He's got something so much more stable, so much more permanent for you and I in heaven. And sometimes, you know, we need to remember that. And I think, you know, above all the summer trips and the beach trips and all the fun we've had over summer and and being able to worship together and all the good things and my family and everything else, really it's a slither of the goodness of God compared to eternity with Jesus. Really, it's just a blip on the scale compared to eternity in the presence of God. No death, no decay, no sickness, no sorrow, no grieving, None of that. God has so much more. And so the pleasures of this world, the pursuit of money, the the goal of getting to the top of the career ladder, whatever it is, whatever idols we may come up with, none of it is worth it when you look at eternity and you think of the cause of Christ and what he's come to do in our own lives and in the lives of others. Another way to put it is that there are no tents in heaven. There are no tents in heaven. I'm sure some of you are very happy about that because you don't like tenting. But we die and we rise only because we're tenting right now. You know, we're tenting right now. It's only happening right now because we're in this temporiness. But, man, there is so much more. So I want to just take a quick look at this example of dying and rising in a story, and that's from Paul and Silas, uh, who, uh, from Acts 16, many of you know um, Paul goes around and he preaches the message all over. Many people come to Christ. He starts these churches Uh, Lydia, a businesswoman, she gets saved and she comes to faith and she helps the church. Uh, And then Paul casts out an evil spirit from a female slave girl, which gets him in big trouble with the locals, and they throw him in prison. So I'm just going to read it from verse 22. "'The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully.' When they received the orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen these stocks. Like, they've got them at MoTak Museum. But they're like, they're like full-on pieces of wood that are heavy and that clamp over you really tight, over your wrists, over your ankles. Like, you are locked in. You're not going anywhere. And on top of that, they've been beaten and they're, and they're bruised and bloodied and all that. So they're locked into these stocks. Uh, and they're physically locked up. When I was reading that the other day, writing this... I thought, you know, they were physically locked up for it, but for a lot of people, they're they're locked up inside. They are locked up. There are things in life that have just locked them down and they cannot get out of an addiction or something that's happening or past abuse or things that have happened in life and they're feeling completely shut in and locked up and they just feel, you know, bound in that place. And I just felt like God was saying this morning, you know, you may feel unable to escape, but God has come to set the captives free. He's come to set those in chains at liberty. And he wants to do something in your life this morning. So just keep listening to the story. Uh, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself. But he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are right here. I love that. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds and immediately his whole household was Baptized. Amen. man I love that story. And church, I believe, you know, isn't that what we want to see in 2022? Is whole households turning to Jesus Christ? as people in our lives, in our community, in this area in Parnell, coming to faith in Jesus? Whole households. And even people coming in, and in our 9 a.m. service, someone gave their life to Jesus, and I was leading him uh, in the prayer of salvation, and he said to me, you know, I. Uh, I know I need to come back to Jesus. You know, I've got these problems in my life, but I know that I need Jesus. And I just thought, man, that's what it's about, is that people coming and saying, what do I need to do to be saved? And I believe that's what I want to see here in 2022. Uh, is not just good church, not just good community, but man, seeing people turn to faith in Jesus, being baptised and filled with joy. So I just read that story and I thought, man, there's so much in that around this whole thought of the J-curve, of suffering and dying and things being locked up. But then God has this upward resurrection that happens. Um, and three things I think we can learn from Paul and Silas. One is that love and suffering go hand in hand. When you're loving in God, there's also a suffering that comes with it. Look at Jesus. You know, he didn't love with no suffering. Jesus did the ultimate act of love. And did he suffer? Absolutely. Paul acted in love towards the slave girl when he chose to, you know, cast out the demon. From her, and he received a beating for it. You know, he got lashed for it. He got abused. He got, uh, you know, he received a beating, and he acted out of love. And often, when we act out of love, when we're when we're doing the things God has got for us, and we're helping people in need, we shouldn't be surprised when there's an attack on things. When there's things that happen to us because we're acting on love, and Satan loves to attack when there's an act of love. He loves to try and get in the way. Jesus modeled it on the cross. Paul modeled it. And I believe that we can model it as well. But love and suffering, they do come and they do go hand in hand. And uh, I believe love has two parts. So loving the person in need, you know, sometimes that can be hard, loving the person in need. (laughs) like Just being honest, loving the person in need can be really, really hard. That's where we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us because naturally, I don't think we've got it in us, you know, to do it. But by God's help. We can overcome the obstacles of that. We can actually love with the love that God has given us. We need to love the person in need, but also we need to embody Jesus. We need to do as Jesus did. We need to embody that message and live it. Love is at its most costliest when suffering is at its highest. Secondly, in the midst of trials, we notice from Paul and Silas that they kept raising a hallelujah. They kept worshipping God. Paul and Silas are locked up. You know, but it's amazing, eh? Paul just has this, he just has this relentless mindset of bringing people to Christ. You know, he's in jail, he's there, all hope is gone. And if anyone had the right to complain, it was Paul and Silas. They were innocent, they were beaten without a trial, they were mocked, they were thrown in prison, they were, you know, they were fastened. That was meant for, um, they say about those stocks and that, that was meant for the most hard and dangerous criminals to be locked away the way that they were locked away. And here's Paul, a peaceful, you know, someone and trying to preach the word of God. He's locked away. If he had any right to complain, he deserved to complain. I think I probably would have complained is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But he's there and he's not complaining. What's he doing? He's praising God in the middle of the night. He's praising God. I feel like sometimes in the middle of the night, you need to praise God. You know, when it looks like it's the darkest time, when it looks like all hope is lost or things are just stacked up against you, that's when you need to praise God. That's when you need to, you know, get that prayer muscle out, get that voice raised up, and actually let let people hear you praising God because it's in the middle of those storms that I think our praise means the most. I think that's when it hurts the enemy the most is when we praise God, you know, when things aren't going our way. But the cool thing about it is that they kept praising God and people heard it. Other prisoners heard it and they heard something going on. And the jailer heard it and they noticed something's going on. Um, they say in that time, around that time in Rome, the, uh, when there was a natural event, often people related it to, to, to um, uh, other things. So for example, the Emperor Nero in 62 AD, uh, he, he, was, uh, he had a gay wedding and he was married, and the next day there was a fire that swept across Rome. So you know, Nero tried to blame the Christians, but actually uh, most of the Roman elites connected that event to his wedding, And so many people assume that when natural events happened, that was a part of the way of judgment of you know angering the gods. So when the earthquakes happened and these guys were praising God, even though they were innocent, and then an earthquake happened and the doors flew open, most of the prisoners would have read that as God's trying to get my attention, like God is real and he's saying something. And so they probably weren't, well, they would have been surprised, but there was a part of it that if Paul and Silas had not, Given God the glory. If they hadn't worshipped in that moment, there's a good chance that the prisoners would not have connected any of that to the fact that God was trying to do something, God was getting their attention. In other words, they were needed in the story. Paul and Silas's worship was needed to have the part in that salvation of the jailer. Your worship and your praise in the time of hardship and suffering is needed to, to witness to someone else's salvation. You know, I think sometimes that's how most people come to faith is they see a Christian go through the turmoils of life and the hardships and yet somehow come through it with the grace of God and think, what's different about that? How can I have that in my life? So we need to embody that message. And in the midst of trials, raise a hallelujah. When you praise, God does the shaking and breaking. Yeah, I wrote that. I think it's great. But an even better quote from the author of this book says, You can't be passive when assaulted by evil. Satan creates a false narrative and uses that to destroy. Worshiping in the face of evil resets the false narrative. So in the midst of trials, look for the gospel opportunities and worship anyway. And thirdly, um, the third point about the story of Paul and Silas is that uh, community is essential for success in the Christian life. Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Luke, Paul and John Mark, All through the Gospels, Paul is very seldom alone. He never does the dying and the rising alone. Companionship seems to be this common thread right throughout the Gospel stories. And, you know, with lockdowns and isolations, it has not been easy to continue in that community um, with others. But I think, you know, one of the things we saw with Home Church, which we really enjoyed, was the thought of being together. Even though we couldn't meet corporately like this, we were able to be with other people Uh, in our homes. And I think God's just continually working through the season of the pandemic to help bring people together. People are meeting on Zoom or online or however they do it. But I just want to encourage you, our challenge today is that often we can think we can do the dying and rising alone, but no, we die and we rise in community. We have to do this Christian walk uh, together. It's too hard to do the Christian walk alone. You need to be with others in community. Last year, Ine, who was playing drums this morning, he was saying that he uh, was spending time in the boxing gym, and he met other guys who had made a lifestyle of achieving their goals and aiming high and studying and working their way towards a career. And this inspired him, and it gave him the confidence to think, maybe I could do this as well. And of course, now he's qualified and gone through the degree and and qualified with an honours degree and working in the field of social work. Uh, and I think it's a massive achievement. Um, but the story's not really about Ine. It's about the fact that I don't know if, he, 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 you know, I don't know if he'd ever achieved that if he had not have been around this community of other people inspiring him and giving him the hope that he could do this. And I believe that's what the church is all about. It's a place of common unity around one thing, Jesus Christ. That's what our hope is about. That's where our, our, That's where our anchor comes from. It's through Jesus. It doesn't come from what our views are on politics. Our common unity does not reside on where we came from, which country, or where we're what, what part of Auckland we're born, our postcode. It doesn't come from how, um, how much money we have in the bank. It doesn't come from any of those things. Our common unity comes because of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross in us. And I think that's really important to remember as we come back is that we need this community to do our Christian walk together. And it lies in knowing that, man, we may have different views, we may have different opinions, but ultimately we are together because of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. He was crucified for our sins, and he's risen from the grave to give us a hope and a future. And I think this type of community is essential for growing into becoming a mature believer. You can't do it just with your immediate family alone. And uh, you can't do it on your own. You can't just do it as a husband and wife. Actually, you need a larger community than that. You need to be surrounded by other people. Uh, and some of the readings I've been doing for college have realised that the early church, you know, through most of the first three centuries of the early church, they would meet, um, and it was like apartments. So there would be three or four story or five story blocks of groups. And often in these apartments, you'd have um, you'd have a jailer, you'd have a social worker, you'd have a you know a Roman, you'd have a, a soldier, you'd have all these people living closely in these quarters together. And so when the church would meet, it would often meet. Uh, depending on its size in one of these rooms. So it was very noticeable to the people around you if you were having a church meeting. But the thing is, the church was very secret. The church was very underground. You know, in fact, it was dangerous to be at the church. One, because if you were a Christian, there's a good chance you'd be persecuted for your faith. Um, but secondly, if you were part of that community, it came with the thought that you had given up your rights as it is to live as a pagan. You know, You no longer did what pagans did. You did what Christians did. And that meant embodying the message of Jesus. And so there was this, there was this attractiveness about the Christian lifestyle, um, but there was also this part of it that people were offended by because it meant that they couldn't live how they wanted to live. And that's the story of Christianity over the last 2,000 years, is that we give up our rights to live the way that Jesus does. But one of the coolest things about the early church is that there was such a community of people that, one, it valued women. Most of the society didn't care about women's and that, but women were included. The church, where most of society, they were excluded from everything. Secondly, you know, anyone was invited. Slaves were invited to church. You know, uh, if you were a magistrate, you were invited. If you were the lowest of the lows, you were invited to church. Everyone was welcome at this community. That was unique about the church. Uh, there were so many things that were attractive about the church because of that community. And maybe we've lost a sense of a bit of that today in the church. You know, often there can be so many things we can be part of that we're welcomed. You know, it doesn't matter how, to, how we are. But the reality is, is that it starts with us deciding actually our common unity is in Jesus Christ. That's the cornerstone. And in that community, we can build one another up. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another when things get tough. We can uh, drop off meals when people have had babies. We can, you know, be there when, uh, yeah, I just, as, I know you're, I know number two's on its way, Jessica, so it's soon. It's, it's, hey, I know we've been in Man, every time we've had, we've had a few babies. So every time we've had one of our four kids, every time there's been a meal dropped off or something like that, I thought, man, you know, like how many people go through stages of life and have no support, have no network to help them through? A loved one passes away and no one calls them. You know, there's very few there. That's, that's the, the church. Essentially, the church is a place that where people are cared for, where people are valued, where it doesn't matter what's going on in life, you know, you're able to wrap your arms around them and be there for them. So a challenge your church in 2022, don't just be a Sunday Christian and do the thing that we know how to do. Be part of something, whether it's a life group, a midweek group, whether it's helping with the food bank uh, in the midweek or coming to the prayer gathering. It might be it might be um, helping with the Alpha course that we're starting this year or being part of Limitless Youth. Uh, maybe coming to uh, the conference in March, which we pray and hope is going ahead. and may be part of any of those things, whatever. But, you know, do community. Do it together. It's so hard to do this Christian life alone. One little story before I finish. Um, me and Pastor Brendan, who's in our Rotorua campus, we used to go and evangelize down at New Lynn. <laughs> this is going to sound bad. At the, um, at the bus stop because people were waiting for their bus, so they had nowhere to go, so they were targets. So we used to go down together with another flatmate of ours, Khan, and we just, I don't know, we had this like Billy Graham anointing, like we were going to see people saved at the bus stop. So we used to go down, and we'd be fired up, you know, and we'd go and we'd share our faith in Jesus with people at the bus stop. And um, part of my motivation was I wanted to outdo Brendan, I wanted to show, I wanted to show, it sounds bad, I wanted to show them how you really, you know, bring people to God or whatever. But I, so I started, I'd usually be the first to go up to people, oh, how are you going, have you got a few minutes? And I knew they had minutes because they were waiting for the bus. And I'd just start by saying, oh, you've gone to church, you go to church, oh, that's cool. And you, you know, you gauge whether people were open to a conversation about God or church. And oftentimes you'd find that people were really willing to talk about spiritual things. Uh, and you'd pray with people or sometimes you'd lead them to salvation or sometimes you just you know you just encourage them or something like that. Occasionally you might share a, a, a picture with them or something you feel God's saying to them. Um, but we used to go down and we used to do this and and, uh, and I remember those times and I remember thinking man like I, I don't know if I'd still do that anymore. I hope I would I think I would but a part of me part of the reason I did that was because I was doing it with someone else. I was going on mission with someone. I was with someone else doing something together. And I think often at times when, when we've got this sense of like we're doing our Christian life with someone else, so much more enjoyable, it's so much more fun, it's so much more, in, in, I don't know, enlivening, or I don't know if there's a word, but it's so much more exciting. And there's this part of it that, you man, when you're doing faith together, when you're going places with people together, when you're going on a mission trip or whether you're going to drop off meals as part of the bank with someone, it's something exciting about it. So I encourage you this year, you know, be intentional about being in a community with other people. Dying and rising with Jesus in everyday life was designed to be done as a body, not on our own. And it is the very best way possible. Amen? Amen. Also, I'm going to invite the worship team just to come up. And um, we're going to sing that great song, Graves into Gardens. And I love the song because it's...